What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 4040 Vision Podcast, the ultimate sports history podcast brought to you by Sideline Sports. I'm your host, Khaled Abdallah, and today we have an incredible guest, uh, Arda Okal of ESPN. Uh, so Arda is an NHL on ESPN host and a Sports Center anchor who also hosts uh, Sports Center on Snapchat, Sports Nation, and has contributed to NBA, PGA Tour, Euro Soccer, Esports, MLS, UFC, MLB, and NFL coverage at ESPN. So as you can tell, uh, Arda is a man of many talents. Um, he's previously worked for MSG Networks, uh, has covered the WWE, uh, worked as a field reporter for the Weather Network. So uh, just an incredible guest, uh, an incredible person to follow. So make sure you check him out on Twitter, at Arda, uh, A-R-D-A. Um, so Arda was gracious enough to give us an hour of his uh, very busy schedule. And we had an incredible conversation just detailing his journey, uh, starting out um, as a child of immigrants in uh, outside of Toronto, all the way to uh, becoming an ESPN anchor. So make sure to tune in. This was a, a great conversation. So we'll jump right in. Thanks, Art. I really appreciate you coming on to the 4040 Vision podcast. Um, thanks for, for you know, taking some time out to tell us about your journey uh, to ESPN and everything that you've, you've done. Um, so yeah, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Khaled. I really appreciate the invite uh, on the 4040 podcast. Uh, excited to chop it up. And I, yeah, things are great. Uh, we both have two kids. And so we're both uh, feeling the strain of uh, trying to raise little ones and having dependents. So I'm a little sleep deprived. But other than that, we got our coffee and we're good to go, my friend. Yep, yep. The sleep deprived is is the phrase for sure. <laughs> uh, so yeah, 100%. so I want to, I want to, I want to take us all the way back. So uh, you know, of course, I did my research on you before the podcast. Um, so you grew up outside Toronto, which mm -hmm. is a you know big sports hotbed. So when did sports become such a major part of your life? So my parents are uh, immigrants from Turkey. I grew up in a Muslim household. My my dad, in particular, when he immigrated from Turkey, one of the ways that he, uh, you know, he, uh, attempted to integrate into Canadian life. Uh, was by watching hockey and basically talking hockey. In Canada, hockey is very important. Obviously, it's the most popular sport and, you know, it leads sports center every day, like that kind of thing. And so my dad, we grew up just outside of Toronto, like you said, so he became a fan of the Maple Leafs. And basically, that's how my love for sports began, uh, was through my dad's affinity for the Leafs and basically making that his passion for a very long time and uh, me growing as well, you know, like, you know, father, son trips to the games, whenever that was mm -hmm. a possibility and things like that. So that's how it began for me. Uh, but sports have always been a big part of my life. My two big, I would say the three big sports that I care about the most or, or, or the ones that resonated with me the most growing up were hockey, of mm -hmm. course, combat sports. I was a big boxing guy and I was like a teenager right when the UFC started in 1993 or just getting to that point. So it was such a cool discovery. It was like, wow, this is amazing. So I've been a UFC fan ever since. And then of course, uh, soccer, uh, being, you know, following uh, international soccer, that's been a lot of fun, especially when the world cup and Euro cup are around. So I would say that sports have been uh, always a big part of my life and obviously working at ESPN, it continues to this day. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and you played hockey growing up as yes, well. Did you play any other sports? Well. 
<laughs> not very well. A uh, soccer, yeah. Uh, I, 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 I was in uh, like you know, you, you, you find like at the strip mall, there's like a karate place. I, I would go do that a couple times a week, but, um, but hockey occupied my time the most. Uh, but eventually, I realized there's no way that I'm gonna be any good at this or get to any high level. So I really gravitated to the people holding the microphone very early. Like I, the thing is, is that. <laughs> I never really thought that it would be a actual job because I didn't have any friends or family in the industry. You know what I mean? Like everything that I've accomplished has been completely through my own like sheer will. It, I don't, I didn't have, there was no nepotism. I didn't have any friends or family in the industry. I knew nobody. Everything was from, from the ground floor, from scratch. Uh, and I'm not saying that as like, you know, I'm saying that just, people listening might be inspired. Uh, that's mm. that, literally, that's, that's how it, it came to be for me. But from an early age, I did know, I loved watching the people interviewing the athletes and I loved people who were talking about the games. And that to me was way more interesting oftentimes than what was happening on the field or on the ice or on the pitch. But even watching it growing up, it never occurred to me that I could do that maybe because there were no people like me doing it or my background or my faith or whatever, yeah. mm -hmm. but also because I just didn't know. I didn't know. Like I, I didn't know how these people got their jobs. I didn't know how they were selected. I didn't know that they, there was a school for this. I didn't know that, you know, like I didn't know anything. I just thought it was really cool that they were holding a mic and talking on television. So and talking about so sports, that, no less, you know? Yeah. I think that, that leads me to my next question. So when you went to college, um, mm -hmm. you were a, a math and business admin uh, administration. As major, anyone right? in broadcasting would do, right? Like clearly, if you want to get into television, <laughs> go get a math degree. Duh. Yeah. I was like, that's, that doesn't really uh, follow the path, but uh, I read that you, you started doing some broadcasting work in college. Yeah. Um, so you started, was it pro wrestling or hockey? Which one came first? Pro wrestling came first, and I'll tell you why in a second. But I will say that uh, even in understanding that there were broadcasting schools, et cetera, uh, my father, obviously, a lot of people with immigrant parents will relate to this. Their version yes, of the, absolutely. you know what I'm saying? Like their version <laughs> yeah. of the North American dream. I'll just say that because I grew up in Canada. The North American dream to them was we need to get out of a maybe war-torn or, or, or poverty-stricken country, and we just want a better life. We want to go to the land of opportunity, and we want to raise a family no matter what we do for a job. That's what they uh, wanted to do. That was their version of the North American dream. Now, that allowed people like me, who grew up in North America, born and raised, that allowed us to dream, to be able to think of other things that we can do with our lives. Looking back, that's exactly what I was doing. But, of course, there, with that comes the uncertainty or the concern from the immigrant parents that don't necessarily want you to take risks with your life. Because growing up for me, it was always, listen, you don't want to be a doctor, no problem, go be a lawyer, you don't want to be a lawyer, it's okay, go be an engineer, right? Like they always wanted me to have a job that paid the highest amount per hour. That was like their biggest concern, like do something that's prestigious, but also that's, you know, high paying and, and very difficult or difficult to get in or, you know, a really specialized, something like that. So that was always their concern. So broadcasting never really factored into the conversation. So the way, and to be honest with you, I sort of followed along and that's why I got the math degree in the first place, because I thought, okay, this can get me a good desk job and I'll just do that. But what I didn't realize was at the time, 
nights and weekends, I wasn't going out and partying with my friends. I was going to the local radio station or I was going to the school paper and just trying to help out there and volunteer. But I did that because I cared and I wanted to. And then when I got a desk job after I graduated, I was a project manager for a few years. Um, while doing that, nights and weekends, I was doing the same thing. You know, I wasn't going out and partying and, you know, being out with my friends or whatever. I was going to the local public access channel back when those things existed and learning about broadcasting. So I don't have any formal broadcasting training at all. It was all hit the ground running, school of hard knocks, real world experience. That's how I got started in all of this. And um, eventually I hit a point about my mid twenties, like 27, where I'd saved my money for the last few years. I wasn't like spending exorbitantly. And I realized, you know what? Okay. It, it, it's clear that I really love this stuff. And maybe when I'm later in life, when I get to my fifties or whatever, I might regret not giving this a fair shake. So I said, okay, let me scrape by for three years. I think I have enough that I can really live very within my means and not exorbitant and very like, you know, I can go, I can, I have enough that I can pay my rent and I can, um, you know, eat very modestly and not, you know, go buy a Rolex or a fancy car or anything like that, obviously. But I'm going to give myself three years. And in those three years, if I get into a position where I feel comfortable thinking that this could be a full-time job, or maybe I'm already there, or maybe I'm on the path and I can see an end game, then I will continue to pursue it. But if I reach 30 and I'm no better off and I'm still struggling and I'm still making, I don't know, 10 grand a year or whatever it is when you're starting out, then I will decide, okay, I'm, I can let this go and I can go back to a desk job, but at least I tried. And so that's what I did. And then doors opened and I hustled and I grinded and, you know, things worked out in the end. Yeah, you definitely took a nonlinear path uh, from, you know, to start your career. And I do think a lot about the kind of barrier event, barrier to entry that a lot of kids, you know, or people like us mm -hmm. face with dealing with, you know, you know uh, Especially, cultural pressures, yeah. parents, et cetera. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I totally. But especially like going to that, that point. To that point, mm -hmm. though, like especially just like I didn't see people of Middle Eastern faith, Turkey or uh, background, Turkish people, uh, people from the Middle East, Muslim people on television. I didn't see that growing up. The only role model I really had, Muhammad Ali. That was really it. You know, maybe Hakeem mm -hmm. Olajuwon. Like there were very few amount of athletes or especially broadcasters, especially sports broadcasters that I could look at on TV and say, I want to be that. Wow, that person is doing it. That person shares a faith or a culture with me so I can do it, right? Like sure. I didn't see that growing up. And that's one thing that's extremely important to me. And you'll notice that I have the umlaut on my O when I host SportsCenter or when I host the NHL and the SPN. And that's one of the big reasons why. And I want people of our, like of Muslim faith, uh, Middle Eastern backgrounds, especially to see someone like me on television and sports broadcasting and say, wow, that person shares a background with me. Maybe I can do it too. Because unfortunately, I didn't necessarily have those role models or heroes growing up as many as there should have been. So I hope that I'm part of that for the kids now that are dreaming to get into the industry, that they can see themselves in me and know that they can do it too. That's extremely important to me. That's one thing that really, really like powers me forward because I want to be part of that. And to be fair, like there are some really prominent Muslim actors and athletes that are really starting to get shine now. There are, let's be honest. There's a lot of great shows like every Netflix, Hulu, um, th there's Muslim themed shows, right? 
And yeah. uh, we see a Muslim actor winning an Oscar. We see a Muslim athlete just won the Stanley Cup for the first time ever in, in the NHL. You know what I mean? Like we're starting to see this. And it, it, to me, uh, someone who's a very passionate representative uh, and, and wants to be somebody who changes the negative opinion of Muslims and people from the Middle East, uh, especially in, uh, among perceptions in North America, I think this is a great thing. Yeah, I went on absolutely. a big tangent there. I'm sorry. I just no, feel very no, no. passionate. Uh, uh, please do. <laughs> you're, you're the guest. So, yeah, I, I can definitely sympathize with that. I mean, growing up, I was uh, a sports junkie, you know, reading Sports yeah. Illustrated and ESPN, the magazine. Um, and I think not only was it we, we didn't see the representation uh, of folks like us, you know, behind the mic or, or writing articles. I think part of it was also with immigrant parents, they have these expectations and they also don't know how to guide you into maybe some of these alternative careers. Um, and it's also much easier now because you can have your own blog, your own podcast, and just kind of do things on your own until you, you know, find your path or, or find your, uh, your true callings. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's, and it's, of course, all these other athletes and journalists and, you know, broadcasters and such nowadays, that definitely makes, makes a big difference. So, uh, so in those three years where mm -hmm. you decided, all right, I'm going to go all in, um, did you work uh, in minor league hockey or was it wrestling that that got you started? Everything. So I did a lot of local wrestling shows. I did a lot of minor hockey. I hosted a day, daytime program. It was called Daytime, literally. It was a, a talk show, a daily talk show. I did a lot of that kind of stuff. Everything that I could find, I did. And then eventually I volunteered at a former serious radio station called Hardcore Sports Radio. It was connected to people may know the score. If you're a sports fan, it's a sports app. Back in the day, it also used to have a national Canadian television station, uh, but it was definitely the smallest one. There were, In Canada, just for people that aren't aware, there's TSN, which is the ESPN equivalent, and actually ESPN owns a percentage of TSN. Uh, TSN stands for the Sports Network, so that's where TSN, the Canadian version of SportsCenter, airs, etc. There's also Rogers Sportsnet, which has the rights to the NHL, for example. So they're, they're, those are the two big national sports television networks in Canada. And then for a period of time, there was also a third national sports television channel in Canada called The Score. Uh, obviously, the app launched through the same company, et cetera. But back in the day, they didn't have many rights. They, ha they had Eng uh, Italian Serie A for a while, uh, March Madness for a little bit, but their biggest uh, ratings getter was WWE. And so when I got there, my big break came when I happened to be at the right place at the right time. I happened to have a company email and then the vice president of programming at the time sent an email. This was like the summer of 2009, sent an email to everybody that had a one page form. And basically this person said, if you have any ideas for shows, fill out this form and here's the email to send it to. And again, I happened to be a, um, a part-time person at on one division of this entire company. And I happened to get this email, but I also happened to have an idea. So as I mentioned, WWE was the biggest ratings getter. So in my head, I thought WWE fans, pro wrestling fans are very passionate. They love pro wrestling. They love pro wrestling content. To me, just like sports, they have a pregame show and a postgame show. Why not create a postgame show for wrestling? And I'm not saying treat it like it's real. We obviously know that it's, uh, a performance, but it's a very, like, I appreciate the art of pro wrestling. That's a whole separate conversation. But what I thought was if there were people in studio coming out of raw or SmackDown 
every show and they were talking about the giving their opinions on things hey these storylines or this match or or um, this segment of the show and giving their opinions on what they liked and what they didn't like just like a sports show post-game show i bet you that wrestling fans would be willing to stick around even for five minutes or whatever maybe the whole show hopefully right in order to listen to, to 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 more wrestling talk and opinion or wrestling talk and opinion. So that show was, uh, I, I filled out the one page form. 20 minutes later, I had a conversation with the VP and that show got green lit. It started in December, 2009 and it lasted for a decade on Canadian television. So I'm very proud of that because that was my baby. I pitched it, I helped create it. And for several years I hosted it as well. So, or I was part of the cast as well. So yeah, that was basically my big break. And through that, uh, you know, more doors opened and opportunities came through. And eventually it led me to WWE, which is when I moved to the United States. And then maneuvering through, uh, you know, the waters of the States, I eventually got to ESPN. Yeah, that, that's a great story. I mean, that's opportunity meeting preparation. because You're yes. obviously very knowledgeable about the WWE. And then, of course, a little bit of luck, uh, you know, involved as well. Uh, so where where did this love for wrestling come from? Did you I read I think it was your on your Wikipedia page that you started wrestling in high school and then you did some coverage back then as well. So I did coverage. I never wrestled. Uh, I, okay. I I did like I did a couple of like show matches uh, during it, like it. assemblies kind of thing. But like we were definitely <laughs> untrained and looking back on it, I don't even know why we were allowed to do this at the school. It was just hilarious. Yeah, that it's sounds like untrained. Yeah, it, so, it sounds like something we definitely should not have been able to do. But we did it for fun and we did it to entertain. And, and the school loved it mostly because the students were out of class. Right. So it was like, oh, we don't have to go to class and we can watch this wrestling show with our friends. Absolutely. Like, of course, you're going to want to do that, you know. So, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I just grew up loving pro wrestling. I love the entertainment aspect of it. I love the larger than life characters. Uh, it came on during the Saturday morning, like cartoon era. So it was like a whole Saturday morning of awesomeness. It's like, oh, I can watch Ninja Turtles, then X-Men, then here comes wrestling. You know, it was like the best time to be a kid to, to watch Saturday morning, uh, television. Right. So, but, um, but yeah, no, the, honestly, like when a lot of, especially, uh, the 80s were so big for pro wrestling, right? The rock and wrestling era, uh, you know, the, that era of like every wrestler was a household name that was so massive. So it was almost like wrestling was pop culture, uh, especially with the MTV connection and everything. But then the 90s with the Attitude Era, like that aligned perfectly with me becoming like a um, a rebellious teenager, you know, like it, it just it just basically my the phases of my life aligned perfectly with the changes of tone and content of pro wrestling so i just kept kept along with it um you know through the cartoony 80s and the uh, adult oriented 90s you know so uh and then beyond that i don't know after that i just kept loving it and and i love the storytelling i love the the athleticism of it and when i started to work in the independent levels, I saw the struggles that the wrestlers were going through to try and even make it to WWE or make this a full-time career because a lot of them were weekend warriors. And I related to that because I was, in a way, a weekend warrior trying to get into sports broadcasting or broadcasting in general, right? So I related to that. I related to chasing your dreams and I related to pursuing your passions. And so um, I just gravitated towards these these human beings that were trying to chase their dreams and helping them as best as I could to get them where they wanted to go and get noticed by places like WWE. So uh, I just fell in love with it all over again for a whole different reason. So uh, that's basically where my love for wrestling came from, but also why it stayed. 
Um, I eventually got to WWE in 2014. I worked there for a couple of years uh, and it was a great experience. Uh, when I left WWE, that's really when the chapter of my pro wrestling life closed. Like I still watch matches here and there, but like that passion isn't there anymore the way that it used to be. And not to say that uh, I'm burnt out or I, um, I, I had a bitter uh, separation or anything like that. It wasn't the case at all. It was just, I was just done. Like it just, that era of my life had come to a close. And so uh, I was perfectly fine with it. And I have a, I watch here and there uh, if a friend sends me a match to watch or something like that. But otherwise, I mean, listen, there's too much to watch at ESPN to, 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 to keep up with wrestling, but it's a good time to be a wrestling fan now. I know that, but, um, but yeah, that's yeah, the answer your question. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm very much a, a casual wrestling fan, but I, I do remember, you know, the attitude era in the nineties and the, yeah. uh, you know, all these, the big names that are still kind of, you know, ubiquitous with, with wrestling, you know, the rock and stone cold and all these like larger than life characters. Um, and I can definitely appreciate like the athleticism and the showmanship that that comes mm -hmm. in. Uh, but you're right about the fans are super passionate, super in tune with everything that's going on. Um, so definitely a good place to get your, your first break. Uh, so I, I, I read your Anscape article. And uh, for those that, that haven't read it, it was about you kind of um, exploring your identity. And you talked about your journey and deciding whether or not to change your name for applications to sort of fit in a little more. Um, and that really spoke to me as someone with a you know, pretty difficult name to pronounce uh, for most people. Um, I, it really spoke to me in the professional world and, and at school. I remember going through those struggles and having a very similar conversation with myself of, do I want to go by a different name? Do I want to tweak my name or maybe go by my middle name. So it's, it's a little easier for, for folks to digest. Um, so what, what inspired you to share, share such a personal story uh, or yeah. personal journey with folks? My, my, my middle name is Atalai. I don't think that I would have gotten uh, <laughs> any better auditions or, uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, I think that would have been even worse. Uh -huh. Um, what made me want to, I mean, even considering it in the first place, it was, it was dual pronged. It, like, 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 thanks for mentioning the article. Like it, it was two reasons really. Number one, it was, I just wasn't getting the opportunities I thought I might've deserved or hoped for anyway. And, uh, I, I, I saw that article that, uh, Cal Penn or that interview that Cal Penn did, uh, who was a massive actor at the time, you know, still very well known. And he changed his name half as a joke to his friends, but also in an effort to get more auditions. And that sort of spoke to me. I thought maybe this is something that I should consider. And of course, I had a very unfortunate um, episode at work uh, where I was working at the time uh, with a little bit of, uh, you know, xeno xenophobic uh, comments being made behind my back. And when I heard that, I was like, this is terrible. Like, I didn't even know that this kind of sentiment really existed, certainly among people that I worked with, you know. And so that really made me consider whether I should stay in the industry or not. And I, but again, I'm very glad that I did. And I'm very glad I didn't change my name. Now, when I got to WWE, my name was changed. That was a little different scenario. That was more WWE likes to own the names that they are presenting to their on-air talents. And I knew that was part of the deal going there. So I was totally fine with that. That wasn't a, um, that wasn't a shock to me. And that's sort of a exception to, I guess, the story that I, my journey through broadcasting, because that was one specific place. And, and actually, to be honest, while I was there, I still worked as Arda 
at different places. So if I was appearing on NHL Network, I would be Arda. And then if I was at WWE, I'd appear by this, their uh, stage name that they gave me. So, but I'm glad I didn't change my name. I really am. I'm glad that now, it, it, the other thing is it took me a long time to feel comfortable with the idea of embracing this diversity because for a long time, whether it was self-imposed or not, it just felt like embracing diversity wasn't a good idea. Embracing diversity was alienating yourself. Uh, people will look poorly upon you if you embrace your diversity. You should stick to the herd. You should um, mold and conform. And yeah. you know, like all of these thoughts going through heads of people who are who are naturally diverse, right? So I went through all of that, and I felt that pressure. And also, as many people know, the image of Muslims. Uh, the portrayal of Muslims and people of Middle Eastern descent hasn't been that favorable and hasn't been that positive a lot of the time. And representation was very non-existent and, and, and still continues to be in certain realms. It's getting better, but there's still work to be done. And so that was also weighing on my mind. Uh, my father would say this all the time. He'd say, just hide that part of your identity because you don't want any he was always concerned that you, I would be attacked for that because of he, he's like, you can control yourself, but you can't control others. Right. And there was always a concern that uh, I might be accosted in public or I might be confronted by somebody who, uh, you know, just because I say, oh, I'm of this faith or this background that they might assume that I'm a terrorist or something like that. Right. So like that was always in his mind. And that was always uh, something that he cautioned me about because he didn't want me to get hurt or he didn't want me to encounter any undue uh, hatred or um, hate speech or whatever the case may be. But now I feel like I, maybe it's age, maybe it's wisdom, maybe it's I just look at all of that and I think I can't worry about these kind of things. Whatever the case may be, I feel so much more comfortable now embracing it because I'm, I know that I'm coming at it from a place of positivity. I'm coming at it from a place of, I want to change the paradigm. I want to be part of the conversation that shows people that we are a, a wonderful people, peaceful people, great people. And then the misconceptions that you might have are certainly just that. And that's fine. Let's be part of the positive change. And so that to me, that's way more important than uh, anything else that I've was concerned about in my past. So that's why uh, it was very, very important to me. Yeah. And I think a lot of that comfort comes with, like you said, age and wisdom and just being, yeah. you know, more secure in who you are and what you stand for and things like that. And yeah. you do get to the point where you realize you can't control what other people do or what they say or think. So, you know, you might as well just, you know, be your true authentic self. Exactly. Uh, so just to switch gears a little bit. So you, so you've been at ESPN for a few years now, mm -hmm. and I've seen that you cover a ton of different sports from MLS, UFC, hockey, esports, etc. What's been the, I don't, I don't want to say that your favorite event, but what's been the most memorable, memorable event that you've covered uh, at ESPN? I've done a lot. I've done a lot. Of, I did. I did the MLS finals. That was a lot of fun. Uh, some esports events. The first ESPN event I did was sold out Madison Square Garden back to back nights, League of Legends World Championships. And I didn't know anything about League of Legends going in. I learned about it excuse uh -huh. me, for a month and then I went and it was pandemonium. And I was like, wow, this is like pro wrestling. This is a, 
incredible. So I was very impressed by that. And that began my interest and care for esports specifically uh, because I love, I'm a lifelong gamer. I love video games, but uh, esports specifically, I didn't know how deep it went and, and which titles were popular, et cetera. I didn't play League of Legends or, or uh, um, I didn't play League of Legends. So like I learned about it and I was like, wow, this is really cool. So, uh, but uh, obviously covering hockey has been a thrill at ESPN and, and also uh, hosting Sports Center for the first time uh, was was awesome. Uh, in May of 2021, that was a experience I'll never forget. Uh, you know, to host an institution like SportsCenter, it's like one of the most famous television shows of all time, right? So to be able to say, now I've done about 100 episodes of it. Uh, you know, even if I don't host another SportsCenter, it's fine because I will be able to say that I have hosted SportsCenter, uh, and it was a great thrill. So yeah, I've had a lot of great experiences at ESPN, and hopefully more to come. Yeah, the Sports Center one, especially that—that's a big deal. Uh, I mean, you know, for our generation, you know, coming up, it was. Sports Center on repeat, so you can catch all the highlights. We didn't have Twitter or exactly. Instagram. You know, there's no House of Highlights or Bleacher Report. That just <laughs> exactly. fed high, you know, stuff directly to us. So that that's a big deal. Uh, so uh, aside from that, I mean, how what's your? Do you take a different approach to each sport? Is it you know I'm going to do as much homework as I can? You know, leading up, like what what are the different approaches that you take to covering? Because again, you cover such a wide range of things, uh, ESPN. Yeah. So as a studio host, as an anchor, uh, you know, those skills are transferable, right? Like my role, you have to get from point A to point B to C to D to E, and you have to make sure you get the best out of your analysts. So it's a lot of pre-production. It's a lot of preparation. It's a lot of studying. Like League of Legends, for example, I spent the whole month treating it like a full-time job, watching past shows, learning about the game, playing the game, talking to people. Like it was was really uh, an exercise of study to get myself to a point where I felt comfortable at least having conversations about the scene, about the game, about the tournament, about the nuances, et cetera. Uh, learning the lingo is a big thing. So understanding how hockey fans talk versus how esports fans talk versus how uh, MMA and UFC fans talk, how, how soccer fans talk. That's all important as well. Getting the names right. You could be surprised at how that's like the number one trolling thing, right? Like you get a name wrong and then it's lights out. Like that's that you have to keep on lock. So for me, yeah, it's the, like, the yeah, hands are like, brutal with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I, I, I am not an analyst. I'm not an expert uh, in the games. I'm the guy, the person uh, that, that controls the show and drives the ship and makes sure that we have the correct information and, and chronicles and, 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 and gets us through the waters. So that is definitely uh, a skill. Like I said, that's transferable among all sports, but also your passion will shine through. That's the thing. Like people will know if you particularly love a sport and you love talking about it because, because you just, you just know it just exudes from you, you know? So uh, that's another important thing uh, to, 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 to doing the job. Yeah. You definitely can't fake that. People will see no. right yeah. through it. So you mentioned that you're a lifelong gamer and there's a small blurb in your ESPN profile about you being a world record holder in two games on Sega Genesis, yep. two NHL games. What is that about? What, what records so, are those? I was very, that caught my eye. I was very curious. Well, uh, so first of all, thank you very much, uh, Khaled, for mentioning this. Uh, this needs to be broadcasted more and more. I really should be getting <laughs> my own segments on SportsCenter about it. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, so uh, the, the games are NHL PA 93 and NHL 95. The records are most goals scored in a tandem. Uh, so it's me and a friend. 
that played the game. Uh, we played with the best team versus the worst team, and we scored as many goals as possible, and we broke the record in both games. Uh, pay no attention to the fact that my friend happens to be the NHL 93 world champion. That's irrelevant to this conversation, okay? For anyone that is about to say, oh, you rode on the coattails, you are the Marty Janetti to the uh, Rockers tag team here. You are the B-side of this team. The fact remains that I am a world record holder, okay? And for you watching out there that would say something like that, would dare say something like that, that would dare try to besmirch my accolades and my world record level accomplishments? Are you a world record holder? Johnny in Sacramento, are you a world record holder? Timothy in Kansas City? The answer is no. But you know who is a world record holder? Arda Ocal in New York. Just remember no, that. No asterisks here, for sure. Zero. <laughs> Not one, but two. Let's just remember that. <laughs> or you're going to tell me that my friend happens to be the world champion and I scored maybe five of the 48 goals. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So you're, you're the Scotty to his MJ. That's what it was. That's what you're going to go ahead and say, Kyle. We were having a great time <laughs> on this interview, okay? We were bonding here. We were becoming friends. And then all of a sudden, you derail us like this. This is just, I can't believe what I'm hearing here. <laughs> unbelievable maybe 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 so maybe so <laughs> uh so a another thing that that really caught my eye was uh the amount of volunteer work that you've done so this was mentioned in a couple of profiles that i've read about you um so working with some uh, doing charity work in the canadian arctic working with the march of dimes seems like that's very important to you so do you want to tell us a little bit more about what you've been doing with uh with those orga organizations yeah, very much so. So that's one of the reasons we went to the Canadian Arctic in the first place was uh, they were very clear that, you know, if you want to come here and do shows, uh, do something for the community. And I said, absolutely. I, I did two full days of like 12 hour visits everywhere. We went everywhere from the uh, every school level to the community center, to the grocery store, even into the prison. Like we had a conversation with the inmates at the prison. Uh, that was very, very sobering. And uh, but we did everything we possibly could in that in the community. It was terrific. I, 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 I that was one of the best experiences of my life. But, yeah, it's a very important community is everything uh, you have to give back. Uh, you know, it's 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 something that should be important to, to, to everyone. And it's certainly important to me. And um, like, for example, I sit on the advisory board for an organization called Gamers Outreach, and they uh, create. Uh, fun experiences through they have these go-kart machines this is one of the things they do they have these go-kart machines with uh, an xbox or a, a, a game system installed that you can wheel around pediatric uh, wards of hospitals so kids can you know experience joy and play video games and just you know have a distraction while they're going through let's say chemotherapy or whatever they're battling uh, at their young age so you know i've donated a few of those carts uh, to places around the country and uh, I've dedicated to them to my daughters, so the daughter, my daughters' names are on them. But also, uh, more most importantly, uh, you know, I consistently help on the advisory board, and also they have fundraising events that I, uh, you know, donate my time and host uh, very willingly because it's a great organization. But yeah, community is very important. Uh, I always look, uh, you know, you got to look for ways to give back. That's just you know the right thing to do. Yeah, that, that's incredible. And of course, you always have to give back to the community, mm -hmm. you know, and make sure to help the underserved and things like that. So, of course. All right. so we're, we're getting 
close to time here. So I know this is a sports podcast, but we always love to ask our, our uh, guests some food questions. So oh, yeah. you're Turkish. I oh. love Turkish food. I've mm. been to Turkey. Uh, the food was the, the highlight. I mean, the architecture, the people, all that. Don't get me wrong. But by far, well, clearly the people, I mean, come on, Khaled, <laughs> the people, right? <laughs> I mean, the hospitality there is, is unmatched, but the food is also unmatched. So uh, what is your favorite Turkish dish? Iskender kebab. Very easy. It's basically ah, like tomato okay. paste. Uh, it's like the doner meat, like uh, some people call mm-hmm. it gyro or gyro uh, uh, in Greece, but also shawarma. It's kind of different meat cuts, but um uh, basically the same idea, like like sliced meats. Uh, there's also pita bread underneath, some yogurt and some tomato paste. Absolutely delicious. Uh, but I would say Middle Eastern food, man. Middle Eastern food's awesome. Uh, I have yet to find a great Middle Eastern place around where I live, uh, which is very depressing. But uh, I am missing a good sh- uh, chicken shawarma uh, wrap. I am oh, missing man. it. I miss it so much. There is nothing that is good in my area, and I am very depressed. If If, if anyone knows... Any good Middle Eastern places in Bristol, Connecticut, where I were uh, close to ESPN, please tell me because I want to visit and I want to experience once again. Because Toronto was full of, full of great Middle Eastern oh, restaurants, yeah. it's amazing. I miss it. I need a good Middle Eastern spot. So anyone that is watching this that may or may not be near Bristol, Connecticut, please let me know. Please give me tips. I am in the market to know. I got you. I'll, I'll reach out to some <laughs> folks out there. Um, so put okay, out the is, Muslim bat signal, yeah, right? the, uh, the Arabic bat signals. Like, hey guys, we need to help here. This Arda brother Arda needs a <laughs> Middle Eastern restaurant. All right. And it, so two, two quick fire questions. What's yeah. your, your favorite like go-to food or cuisine when you're on the road? And what is your comfort food when you're at home? Comfort food is definitely chips. Uh, I have a chips addiction, uh, chips and fries. Fries would be the food that I eat uh, if I only had one for the rest of my life. So definitely fries. Uh, my go-to meal when I'm out, probably something like a pita or like a uh, something with like meat and vegetables, something like that. Uh, that maybe even like a Greek salad with some souvlaki on the side or something like that. Uh, that's always a good go-to. Okay. So a lot of Mediterranean influence here. How, heck Yeah. All right. So yeah, we're just about at time. So any last words of advice that you want to share for young people like us or just young people in general trying to get into sports broadcasting as a career? Yeah, it's uh, obviously it's a very it's a challenging industry, but it's a rewarding industry. Uh, Keep the passion. Keep at it. Consistency is key. If you're starting a podcast, the first thing, the first piece of advice that I give is Pick a day, pick a time, make sure your podcast always drops at that time. It doesn't matter if you have three listeners. It doesn't matter if you have 300,000 listeners. Make sure your podcast is consistent every single week. I can't tell you how many people I see that just stop doing it because they just get discouraged from how many views or how many clicks and likes that they have. Don't be discouraged by that, especially when you're starting out. It's way more important to be consistent. It's way more important to be thinking creatively. It's way more important to just get to the plate uh, with the, for the opportunity to hit a home run than it is anything about anything else at that point in your career. So that would be my big advice for people that are starting to create content or a podcast or whatever it is. Follow your passions too. It's never a better time. The barrier to entry to create content is so low. Anyone can have a YouTube channel. Anyone can have a podcast. You could just create it. Yeah, the market is saturated, but that's why I'm saying find your niche. Find something that may not be spoken about or or that is underserved 
among the content or you want to create. Like if you want to create a basketball podcast, look what's out there and see if you can create something that's interesting or unique and then do it. it that's just as simple as that. I feel like I should be writing this down. <laughs> uh, I did read that. I think uh, the, I think 95% of podcasts end after three or four episodes. So yeah, you know why? Because yeah. people just get discouraged. They're like, Oh, I, I didn't get many listeners. And then that, that's the thing. Once the honeymoon phase of creating the podcast is over, then people start to, wow, this is a lot of work. But if you really care and if you're really passionate about it, it won't feel like work. Yeah, absolutely. So Thank you. This was amazing. I really, really appreciate your time and your flexibility. And we have to reschedule a couple of times, uh, but thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Have me back uh, another time. I really enjoyed this conversation, Khaled. A continued success on your podcast. Uh, and thank you to all the listeners for checking out this conversation. And don't forget to all the listeners out there, I am a two-time video game world record holder. Don't, if there's nothing else you remember from this conversation remember that i am a world champion twice once again no asterisks here <laughs> none at all <laughs> thank you god thank you but once again thank you so much to arda okal of espn for taking time out of his incredibly busy schedule to talk to us about his journey uh from you know being a college broadcaster to working in minor league hockey and pro wrestling and then you know, of course, uh, where he is now at ESPN. Uh, make sure to uh, like, share, subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Facebook at the 4040 Vision Podcast, on Twitter and Instagram at 4040 Vision Pod. And of course, you can check us out on all the major podcasting platforms Spotify, Apple, Overcast, etc. So, yeah, make sure to uh, like, share, and subscribe. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate your time. <laughs>